Hello and welcome to the agenda on Monday the 5th of December 2022. It's a bloody freezing Glasgow that we're coming from. I'm sure it's cold everywhere. Uh, but I'm Chris Gallagher and uh, it's great to great to be here. Oh my God, what's happening? Jesus. Um, hello and welcome to the agenda. I'm Chris Gallagher. Hi. Uh, Alan Edgar's here as well. Hello, Alan. How are you? Good morning, Christopher. I'm good, thank you. And it's quite clear that you are not much up. <laughs> Don't know idea what's going on. Very sh- Alan's there. He's sorting us out. Kieran Devlin's also here. Hi, Kieran. Hello, Christopher. Uh, I'm not match up, and it is very cold. I went to do my my weekly shop this morning before starting work, and it is Baltic. I don't like it, and it's rainy as hell as well. So it's a miserable, miserable day. But we're talking about Celtic, which adds a ray of sunshine oh. to to my day. Poetic, Kieran. Poetic, Alan. A b- big shop on a Monday morning. But I think that there's discussion required there. I, I, think, I think so too. It's quite masochistic, isn't it? That's It's not really what you need to do, be doing on a Monday. <laughs> but I couldn't be bothered over the weekend and I need to do it. So. Is, is that something you regularly do or is that just a one-off? On a Monday morning? No, no. I'm, I'm just normally a Sunday vibe, but I was very, very hungover. And then I was going to another, <laughs> um, to watch the pub, to watch the France game and then the England game later. So it's been it's been a heavy weekend, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, that absolutely nailed that with that um, pronunciation. Oh, heavy weekend, I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> love it. Uh, Alan, when do you do your shop out of curiosity? Um, I would say if it was a Monday, then it would certainly be later in the evening. Yeah. I quite like going after, if I've been playing fives or whatever, get a shower and then go a shop, feeling active, brings you back down to earth a wee bit. There's nothing like sailing <laughs> through a Tesco at you know, half past nine on a Monday evening. Um, I do like a Sunday shop though as well. Um, going two footed into the fruit and fruit and veg aisle, you know, leaving a wee reducer on the uh, the can of tins, and, you know. It, it probably just makes me feel as close as I'll ever feel to a professional football player. You know, you're trying to get yourself back down after a game, do all the things that normal people do, like going shopping. Even though <laughs> I have to do that because I'm obviously a normal person, but you know, whatever works for you. Describe yourself as a normal person, Alan. You know. If the, if the label fits, I don't know. Jesus. There are thereabouts. There are thereabouts. Human, certainly a human being. Uh, it's lovely to be here, uh, Alan and uh, Kieran. Uh, thanks for getting involved as always. We've got some questions, some comments from everyone. Um, so thank you for everyone who kind of submitted questions. Before we start anything, I just realised it's been 11 years since The Cynic has been on Twitter. So fa- the 5th of December 2011 is when we first uh, debuted on Twitter. So it's a very long time um i bet that's that's been a joy throughout a joy throughout joking aside alan i know you're not as big on the old social media as much do you do you miss the fact that maybe you're not as active as you once were what do you what do you make of twitter these days i don't really use it that much to be honest i have a gander if i'm extremely bored but i just i just don't just don't enjoy it as much um I, i just probably have more whatsapp chats and anything really funny that's happened on twitter usually gets sent to me in a whatsapp chat yeah. so basically everyone else does the donkey work and then i get the you know the cream of the crop but i don't particularly miss it no i've never been big on facebook or twitter or instagram or any of these things so it's it's not really a big um, wedge out my life now that I, I don't use it at all to be honest what about yourself kieran you're not as active anymore either no i'd i'd, I'd don't really go on it. I, I go on it like maybe once a week just to see if I've got any messages from friends or something. It's the same with Facebook, really. 
Um, and then if there's nothing, I go straight off. I, I see. I am. I think I'll scroll down for a bit, see something that annoys me, and then log off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah. I think it's not not for me anymore. And I do, I do, I do feel like immeasurably happier <laughs> now. I just I have. I don't have to ever be on it for work or anything anymore. Yeah, I I saw a report basically though that was talking. You know, when there was kind of the, a big the threatening kind of idea that Twitter might kind of be closing. Uh, a couple of weeks ago and stuff, and I saw a report um, from a Scottish football account that kind of, uh, it's just like a media account and it kind of uh, does stuff with other Scottish football media accounts and basically what it said was that Scottish football clubs, specifically premiership clubs, their kind of social media output is something like 65% of it is on Twitter so the clubs are really, really active on Twitter, but they're maybe not as active on Facebook or they're not as active on, you know, Instagram and stuff. And just how, if that was to kind of drop off, that they would have to kind of fill that some other way. I, I thought that was quite interesting. Because um, you, you look at some of the numbers, you look at Celtic, Celtic give you 800,000 followers on Twitter. We're a huge international football club. There are some of our players that have almost as many followers and stuff. It's it's a bit it's a bit it's interesting. It's weird. Um, social media, I think, is changing and evolving. It's you know, don't even want to touch on the Twitter stuff because there's it's a a parapet a parapet. It's a bad thing. Alan, do you recommend? Yes, put. Might I suggest LinkedIn, <laughs> Christopher, where <laughs> professional people operate. So. If you do want to hear about how early I get up and what I do first thing in the morning to um, be alive and alert to the business world, then go on LinkedIn. Oh, well, you know, that's, 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 where, that's where basically intelligent people are. I mean, it's not. It's just full of shit. And I, I don't use that either. But I do enjoy the... I think there's a Twitter page that basically laughs at LinkedIn. I would recommend it highly. It's very, very good. Yeah, there's a Twitter page that laughs at everything, to be fair, which is, is quite good. We're not we're not as active on Twitter as we once were, and I think a lot that's a very conscious decision. But if you need to, links and stuff are always on Twitter as well. We're at, on Twitter at 90 Minutes Cynic. We're also on Instagram at 90 Minutes Cynic as well. So check them out. Uh, how's things just in general, Alan? Give me a wee update. How are you? What's happening? Anything happened this week? Yep, things have happened this week. Um, I've enjoyed the World Cup. Um, I I finished work this Friday until after the after New Year. I think I go back in the fourth or fifth of January. So I'm very excited for that. So you've caught me in a good week. So as uh, um, keep the ball in the corner time. <laughs> you know, don't risk any nasty injuries so that you're unavailable for the key holidays. And it's really you know then you're into the festive period. So I'm very much looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to Celtic coming back and I go to Cork as well next weekend, which I've sorted for my time off. So. Looking forward to that. I've never been to Cork before. I think I'll be there for the Aberdeen game. So that should be good. Looking forward to that. I have my first ever Beamish, which I'm very excited about. Uh, Cork is very, very much a Celtic city. Um, really fantastic. My, my, as I've mentioned to you before, my, my parents have both been and uh, they enjoyed it thoroughly. So yeah, I think you'll have a class time. Great stuff. Kieran, yourself, how are you? How's things? Yeah, good. As I say, like, um, I was at. Um... They're like a warehouse techno party on Saturday. Um, a lot of the worst of a wear. But um, I've got a friend up here who's who's French and a chef, obviously, because Oof. you can't live in the UK if you're French and not be a chef. Um, and so he he was like, right, we're going to drink from to watch the France game, but then go through the England game. So it's been it's been a very busy um, weekend. So 
little tender today after two days of that. But it was it was really nice. Um, I have been, as I said last week, I do feel like a complete hypocritical scumbag, but I have increasingly been enjoying the World Cup. And I, I feel terrible about it because of well, all the well-documented horrible things Qatar are responsible for and all the naked corruption. And well, we're going to come on to Arsene Wenger's comments and a lot of other people about how they've uh, tried to depoliticize a lot of the, the stuff. But apart from that, there's some really good football games, <laughs> um, which have been good. Um, but yeah, it's been it's, it's been all right. And as, as, as Alan is saying, um, I'm quite looking forward to things maybe slowing down a bit. Um, over Christmas, that'll be good. Yeah, yeah, it should be good. Uh, we've got plenty of stuff coming up over Christmas, so keep your eye out as always. Uh, we'll get involved in that. Um, got a question, opening question. Opening question's a little bit um, not off topic because it's still very relevant, of course. We've been talking about the Champions League and we've talking about European football um, over the last couple of weeks because obviously being in the Champions League again for the first time in a while. So the opening question is from Brian. He asks, with the changes in the Champions League in the 24-25 season, how will they impact a club like Celtic? Will it make it tougher or will it give us more of a chance? I'm going to read out some of the changes because um, it's funny. I was talking to one of my friends uh, on WhatsApp this morning when we were talking about it and he didn't really know that he's like a big Arsenal fan. And he's like, um, he wasn't particularly aware that there were these huge changes that were happening. So here, the pivotal changes um, are that it goes from there's no group stage. Um, it's basically a 36-team league. And this will give four more sides the opportunity to compete in the, the in the Champions League. Under the new format, teams will play four matches more than is currently the case. They will no longer play three opponents twice, home and away, but will instead face fixtures against 10 different teams. Half of them at home and half of them away. This gives the opportunity for clubs to test themselves against a wider range of opponents. This is all UEFA propaganda. And also raises the prospects of fancying the top teams. So, there's obviously... How will the four additional spots be allocated? That's right. They'll basically go to the fucking top five leagues, essentially. Um, so, uh, so, there is one slot to... An, another will be awarded to a domestic champion by extending from four to five the number of clubs qualifying via the so-called champions path. So... That that doesn't mean that that fifth team will qualify. It just means they'll have an opportunity to qualify. Essentially, when after that, it kind of just stays the same. You know, um, it becomes the last sixteen again. But you're going to have thirty six teams in one league, and let's say Celtic are in it. We're going to play ten games, half of them at home, half of them away, against ten different clubs. On the on the side of it and on the front of it, you look at it and you think, well, that the fear of a a terrifying draw of just a smaller amount of big clubs that kind of really doesn't give an, an opportunity means that we might have a bigger chance of going through. I don't know. This is the question essentially. How are you feeling about it, Kieran? We'll start with yourself. Uh. I don't like it, but then again, it could just because I hate change. I like football the way it is. I hate VAR. I hate everything. I wish, you know, people just use uh, pig skins instead of all this new woke way to create footballs. No, I'm kidding. Um, no. Um, uh, I, I don't like I, I think it's good. I've, I've not looked at it in detail, but I presume this also means more games. Yeah, four, um, four more games. Mean more football played, which means... Yeah, which means players are going to, again, be run into the ground even more than they already are because UFO won't stop until 
players are playing every 48 hours for 10 months straight. Um, I just think it's a bad thing that we're having more and more football. So I do think the quality begins to, to drop inevitably and players' bodies just break down. You know, I've not actually looked at any data for it, but I'm very curious about, even with the, the developments we've had in sports science um, and everything, I do wonder whether the sheer number of muscle injuries that you're seeing across Europe you know, Celtic, Celtic have really had it the last two years has been very clear. And um, you could point to issues about the style of play and everything. But at the same time, I do it does seem to become a more regular occurrence that players are increasingly picking up muscle injuries. I, I, that's entirely anecdotal. I have zero data to look at that, but it does just feel like that's happening more and more. And I do, I don't know. I think that's the side from it um, as a white, like a wider point that just I really don't like about it. As well as as you say, if it was again like consolidating the top five leagues rather than trying to diversify, you know the the types of clubs and Celtic's position and other sort of mid tier or lower tier leagues that can really be allowed to re engage with them. Um, uh, yeah, and I think. I just don't like it. I, I just can't see it panning out in Celtic's favour because these decisions never do. I, I, unless, you know, they get Celtic really do come onto one. And, you know, I guess the, the positive you could say is that more games means more exposure at this level for the players. It means greater opportunities to test themselves, as you say. It means there'll be probably two or three teams that are more at their level, their standard than we have at the moment rather than just having one even if one <laughs> you know I, I, I guess that's the flip side to it but yeah I, I, I'm just very suspicious of it it just like automatic instinctually feels that it's a way just to make cram as many you know West Ham's or Marseille's or Roma's into there as possible yeah um, Alan your thoughts yeah I think I think they're very valid points specifically with regards to the, the number of games and I think if you look at how UEFA announced this, um, it's very, you know, it's all about how it's revamping, it's positive, and, you know, we've taken, you know, soundings from fans, clubs, everything. But there's no detail. There is no detail of how then these matches will be scheduled in. I think they, they actually say on it that they'll spend the next two years, you know, working with clubs to make sure that the fixture schedule can still work, you know. Domestic leagues aren't reducing the number of games. International fixtures have still got the same block dates. So you are going to have to extend the period in which this um, kind of group stage, if you like, will be there. Now, there are positives to it, I think, um, that UEFA will probably try and point out. One, the Champions League format is, is very, very tired. And I think they're aware that people now are switching off from the group stages, um, particularly in Europe. Um, I think viewing figures outside of Europe are still very, very high. But within Europe, people almost know the outcome of matches before. So it's very rare that you get a Champions League match which is, is necessarily interesting, involving the top clubs. Um, so I think they're aware of that and they're now looking at how to change that. Again, there's no detail on how then the, the matches, you know, there's, there's 36 teams all in one league. There's no detail then who your your ten opponents will be. Yeah. And I think that's particularly interesting. Um, my instinct would be again that that would be on a, a seeded basis because this will all be to filter out the teams that they largely don't want to be there. UEFA are quite happy if Celtic were to get through to or a, a club similar to Celtic stature. If one of them was to get through to a quarter final or a semi final, that's a great success story. 
what they don't want though is four or five teams of that calibre getting through to that level because then that you know takes it away. So there's positives to it. I think the group stage for us is is a little bit tired. So there's there's optimism that's to be had there. But again, I think just the more basic, simple point. Maybe for a year or two, this could be interesting. But if you increase the quality of games, then what you're doing is diluting potentially the interest in them. The six Champions League games, if you compete well, can be a highlight. Increasing that number to 10 within the space of one summer is quite significant. Um, And I think then five home games and five away games is a very different prospect. Um, And I think that brings with it for us as as fans, I think that brings with it quite a a number of challenges as well. So um, I'll be interested when more detail comes out about how these matches will be decided, how your opponents are drawn. Is that just based on seeding? Um, And again, is it just so that the top seeds really... Um, or the clubs that, because it's now not just top seeds, it's now clubs that UEFA clearly want to be in it, whether or not they have a good season or not. And I think that's when you mentioned the extra four places. Two of them are going to the top leagues. One of them is reserved for a club who didn't qualify, but they, I mean, you you might have the word in there, but it's, it's basically, it, it seems like they will have the ability to select a side that they believe should be there. So that yeah. if Barcelona, for example, have the season that they've, you know, they had last year and they don't qualify for the Champions League, say they have a season like that in four or five years as boss, then UEFA can still say, yeah, but Barcelona are a huge um, in the Middle East, are huge in other markets. We need them in there. Then it, it kind of looks like that. So I'm very sceptical. Um, I know that we're all down on FIFA at the moment, but it doesn't, it doesn't improve UEFA by proxy. So I would imagine that a lot of the detail that come out, the headline might be good, I think when the detail comes out, it might not be great. But if we make it, I'll be, you know, I'll have t- five home games at Celtic, I'm sure, I'll price competitively. Um, so I can look forward to that. Um, a 200 quid direct debit coming out. So, yeah, per game. Um, per game. yeah I think the, the devil will be in the detail, certainly. Um, so I think there's a lot more to come. Yeah, just kind of re- finishing off, um, it basically the results of each match will decide the overall ranking in the league. Three points for a win, a draw still, and one for a draw still applying. The top eight teams will advance automatically to the last 16. Then the teams um, between 17 and 24, but the teams between 9 and 16 will be seeded in the playoff. The teams between 17 and 24 will uh, will not be seeded. And then the teams who finish below 25 are just out. But you'll be delighted, Alan. I should have pointed out there is one caveat to this. If Celtic and Rangers both did qualify and Rangers did finish bottom of a 36 team league, I think I might Love it. raise a smile there. So that that's the other kind of slight caveat that I would then put in there. Um, you'll be delighted to know, though, that this is also taking place for the Europa League and Europa Conference League. So essentially, we won't be having any group stage football from the 20. 20- 425 season um big changes of foot um <clears throat> great question brian good way to open up uh, the agenda uh, what have we got coming up for you this week on the agenda well monday it's the agenda that you're listening to um as always uh, drops at one o'clock tomorrow we've got the review christian and graham they'll be looking over some of the links that we've got and uh, in, in detail some player profiles and stuff so there should be interesting stuff there wednesday the midweek bounce returns for one night only it's the last time it'll ever ever be um released 
until next time. Uh, Thursday, we've got the Celtic Women's Football Show. Friday, we've got the Weekend Update. Saturday, we've got a very special um, edition of Take Me to Your Paradise. Um, that should be great. Looking forward to that. And on Sunday, we've got the Players' Lounge, which features Annabelle, Bowd, Claire, and Eddie Walsh. And it's getting right into the festive spirit, so looking forward to that one. Um, Alistair Johnson. Three and a half million pounds, or is it three and a half million euros, um, plus add-ons. Celtic have agreed to sign Celtic, uh, Canada right-back Alistair Johnson from CF Montreal on a five-year contract. Uh, he's 24, part of the World Cup squad. Uh, we've discussed him briefly. Uh, Ange Postacoglu was quoted as saying, I'm delighted. He's someone we identified, we identified pretty early on as somebody we think can add to our club. He's had an interesting career path where he's had to work very hard to get to where he is and we're very happy to conclude the deal knowing he is going to the World Cup. I think he performed well there as well. Played for MLS Outfit uh, CF Montreal 39 times last season. Um, Alan, is this a good fit for you overall? I know we talked about him briefly last week, but there was nothing was confirmed. It's now confirmed. Is this a good fit for you? Yeah, but I think you can talk about the quality of player and you can give an opinion on that, but we'll really not know that until we've, we've seen him play in, you know, a Celtic jersey. There's so many caveats with signing players from the MLS that, you know, it would just be, unless you put great stock in my opinion, which I'm presuming no one does, then we'll just need to kind of sit tight on that. But what I'm quite enthused about and encouraged about is that it's a player that quite clearly they went into. I think that it looks highly likely the decision, in fact, it is clear that the decision was made prior to the World Cup that that was a player that we wanted to sign. Um, and I think it's encouraging on the basis as well that, you know, there's been discussions about um, Joseph Juranovic. I think it's quite encouraging that we are now in a position where we don't need to wait until the player goes to execute the deal for the replacement. And that's something we've talked about a lot. We talked about it in the summer there. The one-in, one-out strategy wasn't just a case of we'll buy one and then we'll try and move on out. It was always when the player goes, then we'll execute the deal. So I think it is quite positive in that sense um, from a you know a, a recruitment point of view that you've got an, a, a replacement identified that you pull the trigger on. And then if Janovic stays, you know, you've you've got a quality right back there. But if he goes, you've at least done your business and you don't get left, you know, caught short. Um, I'm encouraged by the player. I think he brings a lot of qualities to the role. Um, I think he, I was quite encouraged by some of his performances at the World Cup, but I think I'm probably more just bowled over with that um, clarity of recruitment. And that's something that I think we've all been very, very critical of. Um, and if we can do that in a number of positions, um, again, it could we could potentially be going into a, a January transfer window where we not only improve our squad in the short term for the kind of title run but we've put ourselves in a slightly stronger position going into the summer window so that it's not as it has been historically anything we get in january is a bonus but the big business is done in the summer so i'm encouraged by it you know we'll see how quickly he beds himself into the team maybe there's a discussion to be had there but i'm very encouraged by the way that we've done our business um, and again, it looks like it could be a really positive January for us. You know, that's that's two in now and two in areas that I think you probably would be identifying um, as, as places we need to improve. Yeah, Kieran, as, as we mentioned, the transfer committee is available now, which was a fantastic listen. Um, 
you obviously mentioned on the transfer committee about kind of different um, types of strategy kind of being used uh, over the last kind of summer or two. This does seem like we have a quite defined strategy of get them in and get them in early. Is, is that something that you maybe look at from a positive point of view? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think one thing Christian's always flagged is, okay, Kobayashi and the three Japanese lads getting them in before the January window, that's being proactive, it's good. Uh, the, the thing he's always, the caveats he's always validly uh, put forward is that we've been do, been able to do that with the J-League, with the Japanese market, um, because Ange has such good contacts there. Yeah. I think this is positive because it is, it is a change from that. As a player from the MLS, that we as a market, we've traditionally not really shopped in, or we have, and then it's been players who've been well below the standard required and we've just shopped them out on loan. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not really a market we've given before. It does tie into what I know about uh, Mark Lawwell, about how his experience with New York City and his knowledge of that market. You know, I think it does it does have his fingerprints over it, as well as his knowledge of markets outside of Europe. And other thing's positive that we're getting these players in January because both Kobayashi and Johnston, obviously their seasons are over now. So it's not like the clubs are going to be protected. They'll be a bit concerned about losing them mid-season. Um, so I think that's another positive by, you know, if you, you know, um, sending these players um, from outside Europe whose traditional, uh, you know, it's, you know, March to November or whatever, rather than it's the summer base league. I think that's another positive side to it. Um, yeah, I think it's it positive. I think, I've, as I mentioned last, uh, last week, I do have some, um, Mild concerns about the the style of right back he is. Um, you know, it doesn't immediately. I mean, I'm not going to tell all the stuff I discussed last week, but it doesn't immediately scream to me as a natural inverted and fullback. Um, but, but as as Alan says, like this is over a very very brief <laughs> um, sort of look at him. So hopefully he'll prove me a mug um, when he when he does get some game time. And as with Alan, I'm quite curious about how he'll get up to speed, how quickly he'll get up to speed, and whether. If JJ stays or goes or whatever, what sort of his squad um, status will be? Whether you know Ralston will be put forward as first choice, or they're supposed to compete, or whether Johnston is being brought in quite solidly as the first choice? Because I think maybe Bernabeu is, is, is an interesting one. Um, but that situation is very caveated by Greg Taylor, arguably being our player of the year <laughs> so far. But um, I think maybe Bernabeu is one that maybe we thought would. You know, there was always a bedding in period, but maybe it's, he's not played as much football as we expected at this stage. Um, but that, that, that again, that could change very quickly um, next, at the second half of the season once he's had a bit more time and obviously he's been training with the squad at the moment. Um, so, yeah, and that is positive, but I, I think I'll, I'll just reserve judgment with some um, mild concerns, but I think there's a lot to like about the signing at the same time. Uh, question from Michael. Michael asks, um, if uh, JJ stays... On in this window, does Johnson become the second choice or second in rotation? Um, and what does that do to Ralston? So, obviously, as as you mentioned, you know, the, the, there's different kind of time periods with how the MLS and we mentioned the J-League with Kobayashi as well. These are two players who are at the end of the season. They've completed full seasons. But it is January. It's not like they're coming in in March or April. There's a whole six, five, six months of, of football, obviously, kind of put back because of the World Cup. Do you think he's going to be happy not taking? He's not. He's, he's not going to be happy not taking part for the next five or six months. It's the same, probably the same with Kobayashi. Alan, how do you think that gets managed? Let's look at 
Alistair Johnson first. If JJ stays, which is a big if, how do you think it kind of works out? Well, I think I think in the short term, working on the basis of JJ stays, which I think not only a big if is very highly unlikely. He is at peak value right now, um, irrespective. But if um, if Croatia qualify this afternoon, which is obviously on not long after this goes out, then the likelihood is that you're probably going to be without JJ for you know a couple of games enforced, presuming that Ange gives the players a couple of days off, um, you know, after the World Cup to maybe recuperate and just bring themselves back down to, you know, earth a little bit. Um, I, I think I think you're probably going to lean on Anthony Ralston a little bit, and, and I think that would be your your default go-to. Not bec- not anything to do with Johnston or his quality, but I think when a player comes in, you want to see, you know, he'll be the same. He, I'd imagine he'll land in Glasgow within the next couple of days, but he'll probably have a couple of days off to, again, just recoup after the World Cup. I think what you want to do is you want to bring him in and again, I say the same thing every time we bring players in, but just let him have that first couple of sessions. How does he knit in with the squad? How does he find it? Um, if he comes in and right away you feel that you see that quality, you see that strength, I think you would be tempted to go with him. But I think you would be your default option. If Postacoglu is sitting planning out a team just now and he's thinking, right, Aberdeen in the 17th, if I'm without JJ, I think you're looking at Anthony Alston and you say, it's a player that we've trusted before. Um, he's done a good job. He didn't play very much at all the start of the season. But then actually in the you know five to six weeks before the World Cup, um, for league games certainly he was, you know, it, it was almost becoming first choice. Now, I think there was a lot within that and there was rotation within that. But I think you would go to him as opposed to making the kind of the bigger move of throwing in a player who has just come in, you probably do need to do a lot of physical work with him to understand where he's at and does he need time off after his season, after World Cup. So I think you probably will find that Ralston will be the default and it's not a reflection on Johnston, it's not a reflection on anyone. I think it is just you probably stick with that in the meantime. The only exception being if he does come in and you see that quality, you see that ability and you think actually he's a player that we want to get up to speed over the Christmas period ahead of... Um, well, some big games in January, particularly right at the start of January. Um, <clears throat> we have been linked. Celtic have made contact, we're led to believe, uh, with the representatives of Egypt's um, Al Ali attacking midfielder Mohamed Magdi, who's also um, he's got a, a name ah, ah, Afsha. Um, seems to be his kind of uh, nickname. Um, there's a talk of a potential move. Uh, he is he's Egyptian. He's 26. He's been linked with a move to Glasgow before. Celtic have made contact, we're led to believe. 19 goals and 86 appearances. Kieran, is this a guy that, again, we talk about that profile that Celtic are looking for? Is he someone that you look at and you get excited about? What's your thoughts? No. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I looked up at him. Um, I think Christian and Stephen looked at him as well. Um, um for, for me personally, the biggest problem with our midfield in the Champions League was a lack of a lack of mobility and a lack of physicality. Um, this guy is slow and small. Um, so I, I think he looks technically okay from what I've watched of him. But I he just doesn't, again, he doesn't look like an Ange number eight to me. Um, he doesn't have the qualities that I think of as a classic Ange number eight in the same way Hitati does and, and to... Uh, to an extent, O'Reilly does as well. I don't think he's like those. <laughs> yeah, um, I think I do. I get. I like 
that was shopping in these markets because I do think there's quality there. Um, and I think this guy looks technically good. I'm sure he's a decent player, but I just, again, I just don't think he's somebody that is going to help us bridge the gap in the Champions League. I think he could he could do a decent job domestically, but if we are thinking about bringing in players that help us reach that level, who, who can help us finish third or even second in the Champions League, I'm unconvinced, um, to be honest. <laughs> um, but again, similar to Johnston, I've, I've watched even less of this guy than Johnston. That has just been a couple of like um, analytics videos I've watched about him um, and like his skill set and stuff. So I could be wildly off base, but I just I'm just unconvinced by him. Um, Christian's going to um, have a report on him on the review, which drops tomorrow. Um, Alan, what's your kind of what's your feelings on it? I take all the points um, and I probably, I think you probably would be inclined to agree logically. However, <laughs> we are being offered a mercurial, gifted North African midfielder and right away I just think, yes please. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's it's a void that needs filled in the squad um, of a mercurial player that does it when he wants, not when we need. Um, so, yeah, I, I think again, I think when you see the volume of players that you're being linked with, I think you're maybe inclined a little bit to take it with um, a little pinch of salt. Um, but I, again, I agree. I think we should be scouring markets. We can go down the same route of continually trying to recruit in Europe and hoping that we just get in there before the big clubs. But we've talked about the challenges with that and how the amount of work that needs to go in to get yourself to that stage. And we're not there. So, you know, we're looking at alternative routes now and, um, I think it has been very successful for us so far. So um, I was initially very encouraged by it. Um, that is a profile player. I would, I would quite simply love at Celtic. But um, I think we are linked with a lot of players at the moment. And that particularly if there's players, um, you know, obviously joins the World Cup, another couple of players at World Cup. I think you can usually tell the differences between tedious links and players that we are actually recruiting directly for. Um, it is an area that, We've got a lot of midfielders, but we've got a lot of number sixes. We've had that conversation so many times. So I think it is about trying to identify because we look short term, we think, okay, centre-half, goalkeeper, presumably, a striker, ideally. But if we are going to have a tilt at the Champions League next year, I think Kieran's absolutely right. The midfield, we are relying on the three midfielders we have, O'Reilly, Hitati and McGregor, all being fit and able to play week in, week out. But even if they are all fit and all available, you probably still need you would be looking at some sort of improvement there um, to be had as well. So I think it's an area that I would like to see is um, improve upon, whether this is a Champions League level improvement. Again, I'm not entirely sure, but I'll wait and see what the, um, what the numbers computer spits out. Um, we, we mentioned on, on Friday, um, and it was mentioned on the transfer committee as well, <coughs> we've been linked with South Korean forward uh, Cho Gyung Sung. Um, he kind of, there was some just some quotes from him uh, describing his position. I am attacking, I want to attack, and of course, if you're attacking, you have to score goals. I think I should play a role that I can play. Um, fighting up front is a role that needs to be played, and I believe I can play it. I had a fight, but it's, and then he talks about the Portugal game, and he just calls Ronaldo a jerk. Ronaldo is just a jerk. Thought was a sign him up. Yeah, sign him up. <laughs> thought that was a lot of fun. Um, there's obviously been a lot of uh, we've not on the agenda. We've not had the opportunity to talk about. It, but there's also been there's been a lot of chat about Jackamacus's contract, and you know we've been linked with uh, Cho Gyung Sung and you know uh, Magda as well. Is it just with these two players that I've just mentioned? 
Let's say Celtic were interested in both of these players. Apparently we've made contact. Making contact can be a thousand different things. We're very aware of that. But let's say Celtic were interested in those two, these two players. And obviously playing at the World Cup and performing well rockets uh, Hugh Gonsung's value and his, everything about him up a little bit. So he might already be out of our kind of grasp. But let's say we were interested in both. Would this be a... We're interested in both to bring both in, or is this a one or the other scenario? Do you think, Kieran? Thoughts? Yeah, it's definitely one or the other. I think I think it's just smart business. Presuming, as you say, like we have no idea how the ex- the extent of what contact means. It could be just an email saying your guy's good, and um, versus <laughs> he's he's going to be he's going to be signing signing for us by Wednesday afternoon. Um, but I think it's just like as positive, proactive, like just going through your list of targets, um, so that you know it's not the case of you've done all your work on your priority target and then that's over and you wasted weeks, like we did with maybe a certain Vinicius Souza in the summer, um, and then you're just left. Oh, who else is there? Um, you you do work, have them all. Uh, you know, there's a lot of. Uh, What's the things in the fire? I can't remember. I'm trying irons, to think of that. Irons. That's, that's the one. Yeah, thank you. Uh, just so that if your priority target doesn't uh, doesn't pan out, then you can, within a matter of hours or days, execute the next target on your shortlist. I think that's just the way good recruitment works. And hopefully this is the way we're going down rather than <laughs> we did what we did with Finicius Souza again. Um, but I, I, So I actually think both of them are quite interesting players as well because they are I mentioned it on the transfer committee how Cho is a very different striker to what we have in the moment and the other guy we were like with the one in Poland is similar as well um, they both look you know they both have the the frame of Jackie Marcus but I think are maybe technically better um, they look like they're a bit you know they, they love a dribble they are very good at, you know they love like, one touch link up play I think they are more of a more of an actual target man rather than just the poachers that Kyogo and Gigi are, which I think is something very clearly that if, you know, it makes sense given the type of football we play that we would want a guy who can be that focal point, who can hold up the ball well, who can link up play, but also score goals. We don't really have a striker who can do a bit of everything, who drops deep and, you know, he's good with one touch, flicks it on. Kyogo's not that type of player and Jackie Marcus needs three or four touches before moving the ball on and he sort of slows the game down a bit for all he is a brilliant poacher. Um, so I think it's very interesting that both those players are tar of that profile and maybe suggest that we do have a set, you know, idea in mind of what we want that Ange prime striker to be maybe. Yeah, um, we've, uh, you, you mentioned, uh, so Saeed Hamulic, Hamulic um, he's Based in Poland, he's Dutch born. He's six foot two. Um, he's twenty two years old. You know, there's, these are all kind of positives. Uh, Alan, what's your kind of take? Is it a case of one coming in, one coming out, or do you buy a couple and you know get rid of a couple? It's just obviously we're linked with a lot of players. So we're, as we mentioned, it's is it the profile you'd be looking at? Would you be looking at um, the South Korean or or the kind of uh, Polish boy? Boy in Poland. Um, I think the, I think just on the first question, I, I think with striker, our situation up top at the moment is not dissimilar to the the situation that you find at, at all clubs with goalkeepers. We play one, we don't play two, or very seldom do we ever have two in the park at the same time. And if we do, it's usually late on in games that are done, or it's late on in games that we really need something. Um, it's not part of the tactical plan, so. 
I think there is a clear hierarchy. I think it would be a case of one in, one out, striker-wise. Don't get me wrong, that we might bring one in and then move one on in the summer. I don't think it's necessarily as direct as it has to be both done in January, but I do think the likelihood is that if we're bringing a striker in, I just think by proxy, I think both Kyogo and Gigi would then be curious as to how that fits in, um, especially if it is someone that comes with a sizable fee. I know, obviously, the stories with Gigi last week are um, obviously were in the newspapers. Um, again, I, I don't particularly have an issue with it. I, I think I'm fine with it. And again, as long as we're proactive and we're moving forward with it. So, yeah, I, I, I haven't seen any of the um, Hamulich. I haven't seen any of him at all. Um, whereas obviously we've been exposed to quite a bit of the striker from South Korea over the World Cup, so um, and he, he does look a very talented player. He's um, in the nicest possible way. He looks like a handful. Normally, when you describe a striker as a handful, it's 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 a bit like he's a battering ram, but he genuinely is. He has very very good technique, um, and he does look like a player that I think he, he he looks like he'd be something very very different to what we have. So I'm excited by that. If you could dial it in a little bit, it would have been helpful right enough at the World Cup. As much as it's good for us to be linked with a player that's doing well at the World Cup, really? there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of people watching it. So if you could, you know, just take it easy a little bit, that would have been helpful. But you know, there we are. What what I think it makes me really excited for though, all these links, all these players. You're looking at the the schedule. Obviously, we've got huge games, three massive away games, a lot of league games. I'm really excited to see what we do for Green at Morton at home in that <laughs> cup game like genuinely for the select 12,500 fans that choose to go on that day <laughs> they are going to be treated to one of the most bizarre Celtic lineups that you've seen um, so it'll be good I'm, I'm excited I'm glad there's a game like that in the calendar so that we can um, mix up a bit Kieran if we if we do get shown not only would I be excited by because I do think he looks like a really a really good player but he's also a ridiculously handsome young man as well like he would really improve our We've already got a decent, handsome quota, but he's he'd really be the the cherry on the cake. I think he's he's a very good looking young boy. He, he's received that's, that's an a bit pervy, actually. I don't know. Can we retract that? <laughs> uh, let's I just think stick to what made it was your 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 deep voice there that really um, <laughs> that really sold it. Uh, he's received thousands of uh, marriage proposals uh, since he's been at the World Cup. Um, I was one of them. <laughs> Um, see on the um, I, do you know funny you mentioned the Green at Morton game I was just kind of doing a scouring of some news today and um, it, it comes up when you just type in first Celtic news just looking for it it's like um, former Celtic legend says CCV to be axed and you're like what the fuck you click on it and it's like uh, Frank McAvenny says that Green Oak Mo- the, the CCV will be dropped for the Green Oak Morton game <laughs> But the headline literally says CCV to be axed at Celtic. And then I go, think he'd take an axing quite well, to be honest. You know, he'd, he'd, I think he'd, he'd brush it off, to be honest. It wouldn't finish him off, put it that way. Um, Gigi himself, um, we, 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 you br- briefly touched on it. Um, would you be... If it is a case of one in, one out, and, you know, he is... He does go, but we do bring in someone to replace him. Would you be overly upset with, with that? Alan, um, and I, I just mean from the perspective of he has a big personality and he is a fan favourite. Do you think there would be a lot of kind of disappointed players or the uh, fans, sorry, or is it a case of as soon as the new guy starts scoring, all is forgotten? Is that where we are kind of, or that is that's where we want to be? When you use the phrase overly upset, it just took me back to um, Celtic versus 
Sevilla in 2004. That is how I would define me being overly upset at a striker leaving. Yeah. Crying for about two to three hours after the game. Um, so I'd probably not be quite that level. Um, I, I think both parties, I, I think if Celtic did bring another striker, Gigi's game time, is, I mean, he's played a lot, but you do get the impression that he still is in a, a, a fight to get game time. And not only that, even when Kyogo's goes out of form, he's still never been able to really make the jersey his own. He'll be aware of that. Um, I think when you look at his age, you look at his scoring record over the last year, um, take away the contract stuff because, you know, that's that's entirely different. I don't know anything about that other than what I've read. I think I think you will think I need to go and play. I need to go and play football. I need to score. And I need to be playing at least a minimum of 90 minutes a week. Um, so I think as much as he's been a success here, he's enjoyed it. I think you hear from the players, whether it be on Celtic social media whether it be anecdotal, he's, uh, he's very demanding. Um, and I don't mean that in a negative sense. I mean that in a, he has high expectations. Um, so I don't think he would really be comfortable. I think if you gave him the same game time he's had over the last year at Celtic and projected that over the next year, I think he would say, no, that's that's not enough for me. I, I want more. Are we, um, are we at that so point? Are we at that point now where he's going to kind of turn around and say, I, I want to be playing more often, which you can understand if he is scoring. Yeah, absolutely, um, and I don't. I think you then complicate that by potentially bringing in an, another striker. So I think he probably he, and this is more my opinion. That he strikes me as a player that would love nothing more than to be part of a team where he is the number one striker. Yeah, and he plays, and um, I, I don't think I think he does sometimes struggle with the coming into games at different periods. Kieran says the type of player he is. If he comes on as a sub, he can a he's had some incredible impacts for us. But in other games, it is a little bit different. And sometimes getting that touch in, getting yourself comfortable in the game, it, it, it doesn't suit him. So um, I think he's been a, he's been a rip of success for us, given what we spent on him. I think I've said so many times, but that um, price bracket of striker for us over the years has been nothing but a hellhole. Um, and Gigi is one of the big successes of that. And the likelihood is there would be a profit to be made, a significant profit to be made on him as well. So, yeah, I think I think it could be good for both parties and I think it would go with best wishes. I don't buy into, or I don't, because I see a headline, I think, and the record of the sun, whatever it was, you know, about him demanding to leave. It's, it's always more subtle than that. I think it's more just a case, you know, if, if he feels that, you know, he wants to move on, whether that be because of money, whether it be because of game time, that's absolutely fine. He's he's got a contract here for a period that means that we'll command a fee for him, and he'll go with our best wishes. He's been a success here. I would be quite happy for that, as opposed to the alternative, which is that we hang on to him for a year and a half. He runs that contract down. He's a couple of years older. He doesn't play as much, and ultimately, in the end, he, he doesn't have the same value. So, I think I'm comfortable with it. If he stays, I'd be more than happy because he's proven that he can score goals domestically for us. So, probably like most people, but overly upset. Probably not. Um, there'll be no tears in the forty bus home um, <laughs> from Parkhead to Balanok if um, if GG leaves. I mean, frankly, the fact is, and I really mean this, like we are very fickle. I think we'd all be sad that GG leaves, but as soon as the new guy starts scoring, you'd be like, "Who?" And that is the, just the nature oh, of the game. Do you know don't, what I mean? Don't I mean hey, we will, there's we, a middle ground to be had. Oh, there. come on! If the new guy scores, you can just praise the new guy. You don't need to criticise the old guy. How's that criticising him? I just think we we move on because you're saying you don't remember him because you said who. That's, I'll just refer you back to your exact previous comment. Fuck up, Alan. You know what I meant. Mm. Mm. 
Yeah, um, we're going to jump ahead to jump back. Um, there's a question from Paul. I know. I think uh, Andy also kind of uh, touches on this. Um, what does Peter Lawwell being announced as the new non-executive chairman say about the changes at the club? Um, Andy also says, uh, just one second. How how many months do you give it before Lowell starts putting his neb in? Um, essentially, I'll, I'll just his neb. I, I don't know. Is that is that bad? Neb. No, it's it's very close to being bad, but it's it's um, it's a vowel away. Yes, yeah, it is. Yeah, uh, Celtic didn't release it on social media. Uh, they released it on their website. Um, Peter Lowell, as a lifelong Celtic fan, it's a great privilege to be asked to take up the position of chairman. I've already been part of the club for 18 years. Michael Nickerson, we are delighted to welcome Peter as chairman and I look forward to working with him as we continue to progress and develop the club. Um, and uh, Dermot Desmond, I'm delighted that Peter has agreed to take up the position that chairman. He is an outstanding, he is the outstanding candidate. Uh, and Postacoglu, it's fantastic news for the club that Peter will be taking up the role. Um, I think... Yeah, let me hear your thoughts. Kieran, what's your thoughts? Um, so it's something, I guess, like this is a running theme we've had for God knows how long um, on the agenda is support the team, not the club. <laughs> um, and now, you know, the, the, the question was, was a really shrewd one about what change actually means. And I think you really have to make a distinction between sporting change and governance change. Because um, I do think we've seen... We don't know how permanent they'll be, how long term, whether it is just because of Ange, just because of hopefully Mark Lowell. But there is, it does seem to be some positive, progressive changes to the sporting arm of the club uh, the last few months in terms of you know the, the recruitment processes against very early days. We have to see our pans out over a number of transfer windows, and we've seen how after the shit show of Lennon. Lennon's second spell, where the standards fell everywhere across the sporting side of the club, and just you know resurrected that a bit. And you know, good as as I said on the transfer committee, as I said before, there's some really talented people across the vast majority of departments at the club. Um, again, we don't know if that's long lasting or whether it'll be as fickle as it was after Rogers left and it all collapsed. But the governance has never changed. The idea of the, the club of the boardroom, you know, is, you know, I think we've become a bit of a meme or the girl at the board, etc. But it's it's entirely true that their attitude towards running the club has never faltered, no matter what, regardless of the 10. This isn't just like speculation. This is from discussions with agents, from people who like, from executives who have not from Celtic, but have worked with Celtic previously and from other clubs. This this is just what they are. This is who they are, and they don't give a shit if how any fans feel about it. They are entirely infallible in their own eyes. We've mentioned death, like they. I mentioned it so many times, but like they are still apoplectic about how they view the fans treated Lennon during the ten season, how they treated Lawwell during the ten season. They viewed they deserve. They believed they deserved so much respect from the success that they've provided uh, fans and they think it was a disgrace the way fans treated Lennon and Lowell and the, the, the club members. And that's just, they, they, there was zero humility from it. There was zero apology about what happened with the 10 season or the structure of the club or anything. It was entirely self-defence. It was entirely self-preservation. And this is just, it's just the way the club is, which is why 
it's like it's generally one of the reasons I became quite disillusioned with my job was just I was like I can't, knowing you know the club I love is never going to change as long as the people in charge are are like this. It's quite quite grim <laughs> to, to to cover quite daily. Um, um, sorry, that's a quite a dark dark side of it. But but again, one one reasons why. I like just being a fan again is because I can just focus on the team and watching this team play and watching Ange and getting excited about transfers. And even if it is, you know, overly naive or just blind to it, I just, I just, when I saw the news, I just smirked and sort of shook my head and, you know, messaged my dad about it. And that's about it just because we're so powerless. We're so helpless in this situation because they're never going to change, but they hold all the power. Yeah. Great, great points, Kieran. Really, really great points. Uh, Alan, your kind of thoughts? Yeah, I think um, to use the expression of a previous Celtic legend, bitterly disappointed. Um, I think as uh, and it's something we do talk about a lot, supporting the team and the club and this, the team being very different things. Um, and I think from our point of view, that's a defence mechanism because you can't burden or you feel like it's it takes the joy away from it if you do focus on the way the club is run but I think a lot of people have played this down um, and A because it was expected obviously it was rumoured for a while but B I've seen a lot of things about well you know he's not employed by the club he's not the non-executive chairman will set the tone of the board and it is, a, it is an important role um, and I think there's a lot of playing down of the potential impact that he can have. It's a lot of people saying, well, he's not the chief executive. That's absolutely fine. But the chief executive will be accountable to the board. Um, obviously, there's, there's a lot of people that are a lot more well-versed in it than I am um, and have given their opinion on it and you know, have raised some very valid points about it, the, about the corporate governance side of it. But ultimately, there is a the direction, the tone, um, the ambition of the club, a lot of that will yeah. um, will come from there and will come from the the, the opinions that he gives, the, his thoughts on it, and given the fact that he, he was chief executive of the club for 20 years. Um, so I think it does highlight that the direction of travel will be largely in the same way, the formula that we have seen as successful over the last 20 years and the good sides and all the, also the bad sides, I think will come from that. So I think the likelihood is that it will just be a continuation um, of of that. Hopefully there will be fresh ideas and fresh impetus that does change that and does make us a slightly more ambitious club, um, given you know what we've done over the last couple of years. But I think ultimately, not not to just agree entirely with Kieran, but I do feel as if it will just be a case of hope that we have a good manager and hope that the manager keeps everything ticking along and we'll do everything else as we have done largely for the last 20, 30 years in the background. Um, so there's positives to that if you know you want to give some balance, but there's a lot of downsides to it. And I think ambition is one of the words that it doesn't come out of it for me um, at the moment. And I think it was um, in the, your recording at the weekend, Chris, with um, Jonathan Burns, where he said that the club had moved forward 20 years and two years. Um, in terms of the coaching side, and that, that was obviously positive, that's good. But the one thing I would say is there's nothing being done at the club over the last two years that couldn't be dismantled overnight, and that's the slight concern. So yeah. if Ange did step away, the club could go back to having one head coach and just going back to recruiting the way we have done, you know, prior to Ange coming in, that could happen within a week. And that's the slight concern. We haven't put structures in place that will last 10, 20 years 
We have given the manager what he needs in the short term to succeed, but it could all be packed away and boxed up, I think, very, very quickly. And, you know, that's, unfortunately, that's one of the things that sticks in the back of your mind. But, you know, we went at Ibrox in the 2nd of January. It'll probably not be, I'll be as guilty as anyone. It'll not be at the forefront of my mind. And that's, um, again, that's just a defence mechanism. That's the way it is. Yeah, um, I think it's funny, though, like in regard to how the, the club released the news, and this goes back to my initial point at the start with like Twitter, Celtic will, you know, tweet everything, you know, they tweet happy birthday to Simon Donnelly, they send commiserations to Carter Vickers when he gets knocked out of the World Cup, and they don't tweet about the new chief executive, um, the, the new chairman. Like, it's kind of like, uh, it's very, we can see it for exactly what it is, Um and they know the response they'd get from it. But, you know, as you say, Alan, we'll, we'll see. that I don't think anything will change just now or even six months. But it really does, if a new manager came in, would it, who, who would choose the manager? Who would be in charge of, of all that process? What sort of profile would they be looking for and stuff? That's all the kind of fears that could potentially come true. So... Again, something we'll, we'll look at and we'll, we'll discuss, but it's something that we've had lots of messages about it and there's been lots of points of view and everyone has their own worries and fears and there's plenty of people who are happy with it as well. Let's let's not kid on there isn't because there is. There's plenty of people happy with it. So anyway, well, I'm sure we'll... Hopefully we'll not be talking about Peter Lawwell ever again, but, you know, we, we know what we're like. Um, Arsene, I, just to move on from Celtic a little bit before we, we move back, um, I just wanted to highlight the Har- Arsene Wenger stuff. Um, Arsene Wenger talking about you know the World Cup and players at um, teams at the World Cup, and he's quoted as saying the teams who performed well were mentally ready. They had focus on the competition and not on political demonstrations. It's just like because Germany kneeled down and you know they wore an armband, that's why they get knocked out of the World Cup kind of thing. It's Kieran thoughts. I, well, it's sort of a conspiracy theory about it. So I, I, I'd say I describe it as more of an educated guess. I think this FIFA is going hard on this messaging because you've got Wenger is obviously a FIFA employee. You've got Infantino and his whole "I'm Qatari, I'm gay, I'm black, I'm all, all that bizarre, dreadful speech." Um, and it does. You know, you've seen other representatives talk about the, you know, the with the the rainbow representation and the kneeling and everything is it's it just feels like oh in my opinion very futile minimalistic <laughs> gestures anyway in the grand scheme of things um but it does it does feel like fifa really whether it's from guitar or whether it's something they've decided on themselves is that they're really hammering home any kind of political um gesture or subtext or anything, they're cracking down on it. They're not even cracking down on it, but they're trying to portray it as genuinely malicious or disrespectful to guitar or something. It just it does feel like very premeditated and very deliberate. Everything is just the way it's connected. So I, I do think you know, it just feels it's very very grim on a surface level. But I also think there's also a quite darker, more malicious part of it behind it at the same time, because it does feel like people are really, really hammering home this part. Yeah. Um, Alan, what's your kind of take on it? I, th- I think just extremely disappointing, I think, more than anything. Um, Arsene Wenger, quite rightly, was is and or was seen as someone that was a football visionary and that has ideas and has 
um, methods, vision, philosophy and football is something that should inform the game and how the game moves forward, particularly in England um, for years after um, he left Arsenal. He was seen as someone whose who's brain really should be mined for every single bit of information that it has because he obviously was you know, a legendary coach. It, it just highlights, though, how easily you can blow that by just saying something incredibly stupid. And it is, I mean, it is, I mean, there's there's a lot of challenges when you've got Lee Dixon on commentary Jesus. at the World Cup. It is extremely difficult to win the award for the most idiotic comment. Um, but Arsenega probably has done it. The idea that for for someone so well-versed in football as Arsene Wenger to have potentially watched Germany, um, who presumably are the target of this, to have watched Germany and think that they didn't win any, they didn't qualify or didn't win their first game because they made a gesture is just, um, it's as plain as a nod in your face, they're just not very good and they're not a very good side. Um, we are always critical of football players. I think it's a very common thing that people say is football players aren't the brightest and I understand that. Football players are capable of having more than one thought in their head, though, at any one given time. Um, so I don't think it's because of that. And I just think it's bizarre. Kieran's analysis of it probably is pretty correct in that you are now seeing a, a clear, especially when the football is on and it has been now deemed as potentially an exciting World Cup. This is the time when they will go on the front foot now and say, it's about the football, it's about the football. Yeah. Politics has no place in football until, of course, they decide that they want to make a, a statement of football. Uh, a statement on politics, sorry. So it's just disappointing. I seen it this morning and just immediately looked at it and thought, that's a shame. He's he's out. He's out. Um cool. Uh Celtic FC woman took on Dundee United yesterday. They dominated seven nil. Um Shane got a hat trick. Uh, I was at the game with Claire and it's maybe the coldest I've been in quite a while. It was absolutely freezing. But um Celtic uh, put on some nice stuff for kids. The some schools were invited. I went to the Queen's Park game on Saturday with um, Claire and our nephew Dexter, who's five. Um, the tickets had been given to the school, so that was good. It was a nice kind of friendly atmosphere. We got to twenty five minutes and we had to leave though because he had no interest at all. Uh, he was more interested in counting the seats. Um, but no, it was good that they're kind of putting stuff together for the kids and stuff and. Uh, yeah, it was good. So Celtic FC women won seven nil. Um, you can hear all the kind of thoughts on that on the Celtic women's football show, which is dropping on Thursday. Claire and Lorenzo uh, giving all their points of view. Uh, yesterday the Celtic B team, sorry, Saturday Celtic B what beat Edinburgh University five nil. And here's the Cope report. <laughs> Celtic B were looking to get back on track in the Lowland League this week off the back of a 4-4 draw with the Caledonian Braves last Saturday. The Young Celts continued their run of home games with fixtures against Bowness United and Edinburgh University taking place at the Excelsior Stadium. First up was a game against Bowness during midweek with a quick opportunity to return to winning ways. The boys started the game off in their usual fashion, dominating much possession and looking to carve open the away side. The best chance of half for Celtic fell the way of Senegal at Souza, who came close to giving the hoops the lead. Toby Oemi also had his share of the action, being called upon to make an early save. Despite starting strongly, once again in the second half, the youngsters were handed a warning when Bone S struck the crossbar just before the hour mark. And despite Celtic's dominance, it was a travelling team who opened the scoring with around 15 minutes of play left nearly through Alisson Jones. However, the boys remained patient on the ball and just four minutes later, they produced an equaliser as Ben Quinn kick-started a late comeback. The fight back was then complete by the young winger who scored his second in the game on 84 minutes, dribbling through the Bone defence and scoring a great winner. 
This allowed Darren Green's team at Mass to take their side into the following game against Edinburgh University, full of confidence thanks to a strong showing in Airdrie. A few changes were made to the starting run, with the coaches deciding to go with a younger squad, which included a first start for under 18s midfielder Kyle Lure. Hoops put in a dominant first half display and were rewarded early on when fullback Ben McPherson popped up with a goal from the centre of the box. Despite dominating possession and creating some openings, Celtic didn't have much to show for it, scoring just the one goal in 45 minutes. However, after discussion at half-time, the youngsters seemed to be in the mid for goals and looked hungry to grab more in the second half. After several brilliant openings to score a second goal, it finally came just before the hour mark, with Corey Thompson producing a fantastic finish into the top corner after some tidy build-up play. That goal seemed to open the floodgates, with the on-form Ben Quinn and half-time substitute Joey Dawson contributing in front of goal. The intensity quickly heightened following Thompson's strike with Dawson getting on the score sheet to also make it three goals in three games after being quickest to react to Alex Rose's effort which cannoned off the post. Just moments later and Quinn was on the score sheet once again following on from his midweek heroics. This time Dawson's effort was saved well by the Edinburgh Uni goalkeeper but was quickly followed up by the rapid winger. The comfortable 4-0 lead allowed O'Dayne McManus to introduce the young trio of Josh Deddy, Magnus McKenzie and summer addition Francis Turley had the opportunity to impress. With the game coming to a close, Ben Quinn popped off a fantastic week, scoring Celtic's fifth goal, which also marked his fifth strike in three games. The winger found the roof of the net from a tight angle after some nice build-up play all the way through the team by the hoops. That result helped Celtic remain second place in the league after 18 games, sitting on 39 points. There's still plenty of work to be done in the league, though, with the boys sitting five points behind rivals Rangers, but there's still two more derbies to come, including at Celtic Park later this month. First though, the focus will switch to Tuesday night when the youngsters take on Berwick Rangers and the Excelsior Stadium. Great stuff from Lewis Laird as always. You can check him out on Twitter, LewisLaird01, covering the Colt Report, covering the lone players, uh, doing great stuff as always. Um, got a question from Kieran, Kieran McMillan. Uh, good morning team. Following CCV and Moy being eliminated from the World Cup over the weekend, I was relieved that both were being sent back without any injuries, especially CCV. It got me thinking, would the panel rather see Maeda, JJ go all the way or get them back as quickly as possible? One will be staying at least another few days, which means a key player could get injured or need an ex- extended rest before we get back to business. Is it selfish to want them both to be knocked out as quickly as possible so we're at full strength? It's an interesting question. Um... Alan, we we smile there. What's your thoughts? Get them back up. Uh, no, I just laughed at the, the, is it selfish? The answer to that is yes. Yes, <laughs> it is. But it probably is the answer that I think most people would um, agree with. I think now that CCV is um, hopefully on a, uh, well, you know, I, I hope he's a private jet home. I appreciate the, Jesus. you know, it's no good for the environment, but he deserves it. He really deserves it. Um, and it is really important that he's back and rested before, well, before Aberdeen in the 17th now would be the target for him, certainly, and, and, and Moy as well. Um, I think, though, with JJ and Maeda, I think I, I think you'd only have one of them now going through. I'd be happy for either of them, you know, to go as far as they can. You know, we're not going to be severely impacted now, you know, by either, you know, we've brought in Johnston. I think we can manage. So I'd like to see, I feel like the benefit, particularly if you're being really selfish for the club, the ultimate win here is that JJ probably goes all the way or goes as far as he can and maybe even has you know another highlight reel because he is available um, and there's clubs interested. So if you can pump that price yep. up. Yep. But there's just something about this Japan team. I mean, I'd, I'd love to see them do it. I think they've been great to watch. I think they play, they're really 
they're just a fantastic side to watch. There are a lot of um, a lot of the things that we've obviously been fortunate enough to see with Maeda, Kyogo, Hitati. I think you can see a lot of that in the other side. And I was speaking to a mate at the weekend and we were watching the Netherlands USA game. And I remember pre-World Cup, obviously when Hitati and Kyogo didn't make the team, pretty much everyone, myself included, said, well, Japan, they must have some players not to, um, you know, not to be picking those lads. And uh, it turns out they do. It turns out they have a really, really good side. Uh, they're extremely talented. So um, on the question, I, I'm happy for either to go through. I think for Celtics, the club benefit, I think JJ probably going as far as possible because he is in the market. But from a, my own point of view, I'd like to, I would like Japan to go through and I'd like Maida to do it. I'd love him to get a goal. I really would. It would be, it feels like it would wash away all the upset of, you know, some of the kind of difficult moments that he's had up to this point. And I just think he would come back flying. I really do. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see Japan do it. Uh, Keenan, any, what's your kind of big highlights this week of been watching the World Cup? Um, I did, I, Japan beating Spain and knocking out Germany. That was, that was satisfying. Yeah. I did really enjoy that. That was good. I think Australia beating Denmark, I really enjoyed. I know they didn't, they, they didn't get, get past Argentina. Um, but, I think they've just been. I just, obviously just like seen all the underdogs, and not like the the fake underdogs like uh, Saudi Arabia, for example. <laughs> um, but it was really funny watching them being described as plucky underdogs. Uh, I wish I was that that wealthy, a plucky underdog. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's just been enjoyable seeing the smaller, like quote unquote, smaller nations or less um, people or less football historic nations do really well, and South Korea as well. See, you know. Cho and um, could Japan when is it Japan and South Korea could play each other as the semis or something but that'd be good Maeda versus Cho that'd be a really good occasion for for us even if it, you know might mean Cho is 15 million quid or something yeah. um, we still I'd still pay it of course um, it's because you're in love with him um, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely like if we don't sign him I'll probably have to go into hibernation for a, a few weeks um, but yeah, it has been. There have been some good games. I think as obviously the first couple of rounds were really shit, um, but I think it's starting to pick up now. And the knockout stages are usually good fun. So I think yeah, it's it's been good as as you know terrible a person I feel every time I remember <laughs> oh the the the, the wider context. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think uh, it was Martin Keown talking about America and describing the USA as a as an emerging nation. They've got their own league now, do you know? <laughs> like, fucking hell, man. It's just... Okay. An emerging nation. Martin Keown, eh? Yeah. Him and Arsene Wenger must be um, two peas in the same pod. Him, Arsene Wenger and Lee Dixon just talking a lot of shite. Um, Danny Murphy, don't forget the the king Ooh. of talking shite. Oh, come on. He likes Moy. He, he's in love with Moy. So that's... You know, we'll let that go. Because uh, he's another baldy, lazy midfielder. <laughs> 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 you've got the goalkeepers union then you've got the baldy lazy midfielder union that's harsh on Moy. he's not lazy he's just a wee bit slow but he's he's very talented so please don't <laughs> please don't be upset at my comments uh, you're all over the place Alan you're this little I know, machine I know I know I just realised I'm slaughtering a player that I really really like and that's going to be really important for us in the next couple of weeks uh, we've obviously the, the World Cup obviously continues those games this week as mentioned this afternoon on Monday it's uh, Japan versus Croatia which should be a lot of fun the fact that two Celtic players are involved is, is really cool but there's obviously games the rest of the week so um, we can touch on it next week um, we'll finish off with a question from Ali uh, Ali Cunningham hi Chris and the boys uh, thinking back to the start of oh, Chris and the boys 
Yeah. That makes it sound like we're your children. Merry Christmas to Chris and the boys. I thought I thought it makes it sound like a Rebels cover band. That's what I was going to say. You know, like Chris and the boys at the battle at live from the brazen head. It's Chris and the boys. Um, People would be fucking disappointed if we turned <laughs> up with the brazen head. By the way, and you see us three standing up there. Would they? Yes, yes. I would. I would. <laughs> yes, they definitely would. Definitely would. Uh, thank. Uh, thinking back to okay, so there, it's a two part question. Thinking back to the start of the season, has your first choice eleven changed? And did you expect more out of the signings we've made in the summer? For me, the first eleven is the same as it was at the end of last season. So, would well, that's an interesting one. Has your kind of first choice pick? If we were going into the game against Rangers on Tuesday, uh, on Tuesday, on the second of January, let's say everyone's available. Would you choose a team very similar to to the end of last season? So, for example, mine's probably would be. Hart, Taylor, Juranovic, CCV, Starfelt, McGregor, O'Reilly, Hatati, Kyogo, Jota, and probably Maeda, uh, maybe Haxabanovic. Um, Kieran, your thoughts? Yeah, I think I think I'd have Haxabanovic in for Maeda. I, lo- I, I do love Maeda, and I thought some of the criticism was over overblown as I said before but I also really really love Haxabarovic and I think he's towards the, the last few weeks he was really come on to good form as well when I think he's looked a lot more settled so it's not not any uh, slight on, on my head I just think Haxabarovic looks a, a really good find. So Haxabarovic yeah okay that's interesting. Alan yourself what's your thoughts? Yeah I think apart from I think the, the spot that's up for grabs is one of those wide berths um, I, th- I think the rest of the team largely does pick itself if we're injury-free. Um, I think the only thing you'd point out is that Carol Staffelt coming back does feel like a new signing because he's been out for such a long time. So I think there will be, well, presumably there'll be a big benefit from from that if he picks up where he left off. So you know, that's, that's really exciting. And then it is about can the players that we do add in January, can they make a similar type of impact to, to the players that joined last year? The, the need isn't quite the same. But it would be obviously a huge bonus if they could. So um, the wide spot, I think Haxabanovich is definitely playing himself in. I think he's the one more than most that might benefit from this break and the the training time. I know that we're back on Saturday. Yeah, I think we play a friendly. Um, is it Portugal? It's Ren. Oh, sorry, is it in Portugal? It's Ren in Portugal, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think I'm hoping that he'll benefit a lot from that, as in the additional training time maybe a bit of one-on-one coaching time. Obviously, Harry Keogh has become the um, the winger whisperer. So I think there's, there's, there could be a big benefit there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see him. But Haxabinovic and Staffelt feel like they could be two that are really big additions after this um, this break. And, you know, 17th Aberdeen is going to be a huge game. So you, you do really need everyone to be on point. Uh, second part of the question uh... As it's Christmas season, Santa will allow you to bring back one ex-player that is currently still playing to go straight back into the team, but the current Oof. but the fun, the current first choice player will have to leave. Who are you picking? And then he says, "No players that have been put in the blender may be unblended to return." Hail, hail, and keep up the good work. Well, we're not bringing Ryan Christie back. So <laughs> just, if anyone's listening, hoping that there's an unblending coming, I'm sorry, it's, it's a double blending. It's double actually. blending, yeah. Uh, We've been blending again. Yeah, that's a blending. Um, what's your, what's your? if you had to, I've put them both in the spot. I didn't give Alan and Kieran the chance to think about this, so it is on the spot mm. stuff. Um, Kieran, we'll start with you. 
I think if if we hadn't signed Kobayashi, I would have said Ayer. Um, and I might still say Ayer if Kobayashi turns out to be shite. Um, which is, yeah, you don't know. Um, I think if JJ is going, I don't know. I think we've just signed Johnston, but I'd I'd love to see Frimpong in this team at right back. <sighs> I think he like he's turn he's turning into some player for Leverkusen, and I think he's suits Ange's style perfectly. Yeah. Um, so I'd, I'd I'd love to see him there. That is not like on, you know, um, if JJ is going, and uh, you know, I, I'm really hopeful Johnston turns out to be class, but I think he'd be really something special in this team. Love it. Great answer. Great answer, Kieran. Uh, Alan, yourself? Well, I wish you'd came to me first because I thought Kieran might have forgot about Jeremy Frimpong, but obviously <laughs> not. So, um, This is the sound of me thinking on my feet. Um, I don't know. Would you maybe you still hold a candle for Kieran Tierney? You know, would it be an upgrade on Greg Taylor? Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So pro- probably would um, if he can stay fit. Um, I, I probably still would make that change. Left field potentially might not be popular. Ben Doak, back you come, son. I know you were enjoying it down there, and you were about to go on and become. But right back you come, Up back you to come. your roots. Yes, <laughs> know uh, your station. You you've got a maximum level. You will reach it here and then stay here until the end of your contract. So no, that could be one for the future potentially because it does really look like he's absolutely nailing it down there. What about Fraser Foster? No, <laughs> it's, just, it's a silly suggestion, Chris. Is it not like 37, 38 as well? Nah, he's only 21. <laughs> <laughs> just, go, just goes far. Right, well, this, uh, just goes far. That's the end of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I probably I, I think Kieran Tierney for me as well. Um, Kieran Tierney and um, Frimpong are both excellent suggestions. And uh, can I just say I, I probably would pick Frimpong if given the choice, but I just for um, for the enjoyment of the listener, I felt I should pick a different choice. But Frimpong definitely because he's younger, quicker, less injury prone. Yeah. Oh, there was no need to explain you could do it because oh, I, I like him he's good you really hate Kieran Tierney don't you Alan that's what I'm picking up <laughs> I want to bring him back so I can hate him that's what I want to do <laughs> great stuff uh, listen this has been fantastic as always uh, we've got lots of stuff coming up this week they are Celtic aren't quite back yet but you know we're getting closer and closer as the weeks go by um, that, that game at Pataji is going to be massive um, so great stuff Alan pleasure as always sir speak to you soon thank you happy December Okay. Uh, <laughs> but we had... You don't say okay. Well, we'll, see, say you thank you. we'll see you next Happy week. Happy December for Happy you. Happy December. We'll see you next. Are you going to say every for the, every agenda in December? You going to say yes? Happy? Yes, I'm. Fair play. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, Kieran Devlin, pleasure, sir. We'll speak to you soon. There's no mind, Chris. Thank you. Happy December. From Alan Edgar, from Kieran Devlin, I'm Chris Gallagher. This has been the agenda. Happy December. <laughs>